Hello, I'm Charlotte Bond, and today I'm here in lovely Brodsworth interviewing the charming Alison Littlewood. Hello, Alison. Hi, Charlotte. Uh, For those listeners who aren't familiar with your work, could you please give us a brief rundown of your books? Uh, Well, the first book that I had published was A Cold Season, which was essentially a horror novel based around Faustian pack, so deals with the devil. Um, From there, I've kind of changed around a a little bit in that I've, I've written a traditional haunted house story Mm. um, but also a novel called Path of Needles which was more about fairy tales meeting crime fiction and then I've gone back more recently into Victorian times and written a novel about the fairy folk and changelings Um, I've also written short stories for quite a lot of years Mm. and been around in the independent presses and last year I actually had two short story collections published which was lovely because one of them was a collaboration with a friend called Daniel Serra who illustrated everything, just made it look so beautiful, which was lovely. And which book was that? That was Five Feathered Tales. Oh, yes. And the other one was more of a traditional collection Hmm. um, called Quieter Paths, uh, which came out from PS Publishing. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. But tell us about you and what made you decide to write. Well, I I took my time about it. (laughs) I think I was in my 30s when I first actually gave it a go. And I think for a lot of years, I I mean, I grew up just loving books. I adored fairy tales when I was little. Uh, But I always kind of thought of it as something other people did, so I never really got going on my own. Although I think deep down, you know, if if I could have dug deep enough, I would have found a dream there of someday having a book with my name on the cover. But um, it was reading on writing, I think, by Stephen King that first made me think, well, actually, I ought to really properly give this a go or or just stop dreaming about it because you know <laughs> um actually give it a try so i joined a local writing course uh, which actually made me start really um i remember being so terrified i couldn't get the top off my pen in the first <laughs> session i was like well, my god what we actually have to write something now but um just gradually i started writing slightly longer pieces and i got into writing short stories and then eventually um wrote my first novel and um I, I did that NaNoWriMo style you know national mm. novel write, novel writing month where you write so many words a day just to force yourself to get to the end and I did that just to kind of prove to myself that I could do something that length threw it away when I'd written it and mm. but it just got me into the flow of starting to write to a longer length and um went from there really so you found NaNoWriMo quite helpful then I did, yes, definitely. It was a huge psychological thing, I think, just to get over that hurdle of thinking, mm. oh no, I, I write short things, can't do anything, <laughs> anything of 80,000 words plus. Um, so yeah, I, I did find it helpful. So did you, do you find that now that you're a more experienced writer, you've changed your style and the way you work from how you started with NaNoWriMo? Because it's very intense, isn't it? It's a whole month of set, a set amount each day, isn't it? Is that yeah. what you still work to or have you sort of slackened off a bit or changed it slightly i have changed it slightly i, I don't work to quite such a, a brutal word uh, word limit per day um I, I kind of go with the flow a little bit but actually i do still keep word count spreadsheets um just to keep that discipline going and to make sure that i'm still going forward because at some point in every novel that you hit a wall and it it just helps give that impetus of of working through it because there's there's kind of no easy way around it really other than just battling through and keeping putting one word after the next. So it's useful from that point of view, although I'm a bit more flexible around yeah. it. And what about your writing course? Do you Did you make friends on that that you've kept in touch with? Or 
Uh, not from the first one. I did another one after that, and um, I, I did meet someone that I've kept in touch with, and we critiqued each other's short mm. stories for a while. Um, although we, the, the actual course has dropped off after a while. Um, but, yeah, I mean, th- that kind of thing, if you find a good supportive group, I mm. think it's useful to... Absolutely. To have friendly ears. And <laughs> it can be quite lonely writing sometimes. Yeah. So how would you categorise your, your writing? Would you say it was straight horror or supernatural thriller or is every book different? They have been different. I, I think I've always kind of categorised myself as horror, but then I would categorise horror quite broadly. And I think I've always perhaps been on the edges of it towards dark fantasy. Mm. Um, and certainly my latest books, um, the, the Hidden People in particular, my publishers badge that as fiction hmm. rather than horror. And I think, I think it's just because of their elements are coming to the fore and, and things. But I still completely identify with horror and, the, you know, the the group of people around it, the, the genre community, I think, is really important to me. I've made some really good friends in that and everybody's so supportive and I know it's amazing isn't it the people who write the most revolting and disgusting stuff are actually the really nicest people you've ever met (laughs) definitely so absolutely (laughs) so your first book A Cold Season made the Richard and Judy list how did that make you feel as a debut writer it was just a completely insane time actually (laughs) Um, right from getting the phone call from Jo Fletcher um, when she said we want to publish your book because I'd been made redundant on the Monday and then, you know, I was sitting back thinking, well, okay, I might just have some time to myself and spend a year just writing. Hmm. And I was thinking, oh, I'm being quite selfish there because I haven't really got anything to justify doing that. But but then Joe gave me the call on the Friday and we had a chat and it turned into a three-book deal. It's like, okay, that's nice. That'll be, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do now. And it was just like, you know, everything should have been miserable because I'd just lost my job. But it was just like, oh, I, I was having to bob back into the office and cover up the smiles. Ah. You know? so I was like, wow, this is happening. So you really and that was one... like, yeah, that was like being given my dream, really. And then the whole Richard and Judy thing was just like, here's your dream with a big wadge of cream on top. You know, it was completely surreal at the same time it still actually feels like it happened to somebody else but yeah you couldn't ask for a better start really because obviously the support in terms of sales and marketing was Mm. fabulous I mean I've gone from thinking oh I hope bookshops stock my book to going to WH Miss and there were posters of it in the window it's like that's not really happening. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get someone to take a little photo of you next to the big stand that says Richard and Judy? Burns? Yeah, yeah, we've got pictures. And yeah, I, I should look at them again, actually. You should they do. probably be quite surreal as well. Well, you can yeah. always send us one to put up with your interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, has it dictated the way you write? For example, would you have gone quite a lot darker if you'd had the opportunity and hadn't been sort of put into this, this bracket of a being a Richard and Judy book club? It's best star. Um, not really, because I think I was just astonished that they'd um, gone with what was quite a dark book anyway. Mm. So I think, if anything, it, it would have maybe that way you can go dark and still yeah. have a broad appeal, hopefully. Um, so, no, I've never really felt constrained by that at all, particularly because Joe Fletcher, um, she does horror, fantasy and science fiction. Mm. Um, but she's also great at, you know, when I've come up with ideas, like the Path of Needles was really more of a crime meets fantasy, mm. but Joe loved the idea. And so, you know, she's great at rolling with things and, and giving you a bit of artistic freedom. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. She's been really good to work with. 
So a lot of your protagonists in your books are female. Um, why is that? Is it because you feel they're underrepresentative or are they just easier to write? Do you know, I, I didn't make a conscious decision to do that. Um, certainly my first couple of books are young women, um, actually the first three. But it really was just coming up with a character that fitted the part um, in the book. So it was the ideas that came first. And in mm. the first one, it's a young mother who's isolated with a child and having to protect him. So obviously that needed to be female. Um, actually, I suppose it wouldn't in a way, but... Um, it, it just naturally seemed to lend itself to a young woman mm. who was trying to establish herself with her husband away at the war and um, on her own. And, yeah, I just naturally seemed to, to do that. Although The Unquiet House switches between point of view characters. It does. And I did do that on purpose, actually. When I set out, I thought, I don't just want to write a young woman again. Yeah. So it kind of, it, it needed to start off again with a young woman, really. Um, it does. But there's... A male point of view then that um, comes in later. Mm. And it was just nice to, to start working in different voices again. Because certainly in my short stories, I've written all kinds of different voices and ages of protagonists and things. And the latest book, it's The Hidden People, has a male protagonist as well. So I seem to have moved more over to, to writing about men. But that's an odd one because in a way it's, it's a story about strong women. It's just seen through a male yeah, viewpoint, which was quite an interesting thing to play with. Well, that's what I, I texted you, wasn't it, when I had finished it and went, it's really good. How did you manage to have a male protagonist and still write a book about women? Yeah. It, it was really <laughs> remarkable that he was almost the, the portal through which we see it all. And I mean, Albie is obviously very a very strong character. He's very likable uh, up to a point. <laughs> um, uh, but it is, it's his interactions with the women around him and his values as a Victorian man um, and the, the values of society as well that they place on women that just make it fascinating. So you still managed to write a book about women, but with a man as a male protagonist. I think that's quite an achievement. <laughs> yeah, I was really glad you picked up on that because I, I kind of thought while I was doing it, it was a, it was a slightly odd thing to do um, because Albie's going off to investigate the death of his cousin. And really, he's perhaps not the best personality to be put into that situation. Some of the women around him are actually much stronger than he is, I mm. think. But um, it... It, it seemed to me reflective of the society that is in. Because Victorian society was obviously paternalistic. He's the one who's got the freedom and the agency to go off and do something like that. And also the responsibility. There are certain expectations on his shoulders. Hmm. And the women don't have that. But actually, um, some of them are, are really making things happen more than he is, just quietly and subversively. You know, it's going on underneath Absolutely. And it seemed to me, yeah, it seemed just to reflect the um, the wider social situation. Well, it's a little bit like the idea that Pride and Prejudice is actually Mr. Darcy's novel because he's the one who changes the most. And Elizabeth changes a little bit. But you've got a massive character overhaul of Mr. Darcy. And, and obviously one of the main points of books is to show a character's journey. And I think in The Hidden People, you've got something similar that the women around him, yes, they're stronger, but they're all very close-minded. And they've all got their set ways and their set values. But Albie, you're right, sort of starts off with this whole idea of being a strong man and wanting to... Um, involve himself and having the ability to speak to the police and be listened to and reasoned with. Um, but actually he changes his opinions and he changes his ideas as he goes on. And so he's the one character through which we see a proper journey because everyone around him is, is kind of static, really. It's a fascinating book. And if, I, if any of our readers haven't read it, um, it's very definitely worth a, a look, I would say. Um, so what are, a little bit of a lighter question now, what are your pet hates for female characters in horror stories? 
Okay. Um, I, I mean, the two extremes, really. Mm. Um, I don't like female characters who are just there to scream a lot. I suppose there's something from horror movies, really, more than horror novels. I'm not sure you really find it that much. Um, but something else I don't like is that if you write a flawed character, um, people immediately start commenting, oh, it's not a strong female character. Mm. And it's that expectation that women have to be rock hard and going around smacking people in the tops if they upset them. Um, in, in situations that really, you know, it will get them arrested. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, whereas you can write a flawed male character and nobody thinks anything of it. And I, th- I think that's kind of a shame that women have to be this almost caricature of a strong person hmm. rather than a person who's got flaws and who's got problems but are strong enough to fight through them. And I think that's more interesting. It is, and what I tend to find more interesting as well is those women whose flaws and weaknesses are not children or childbirth or the desire for children. It's amazing how many... People, I've, books I've read, um, particularly those written by men, where the flawed female characters you're talking about is really strong, apart from this one desire to have kids. And it's like, well, we do have other flaws, you know. We can we can, <laughs> yeah. we can explore other weaknesses, but there just doesn't seem to be uh, be much of that right at the minute. <clears throat> now, I've read uh, Cold Season and The Unquiet House and The Hidden People, so my experience of your work is that it's pretty much all set in Yorkshire. And obviously, you and I live in God's Own County. But what made you decide to set so much of your work here? It's essentially that um, write what you know thing, I think. It's just um, the familiarity. And if you're going to throw characters into all sorts of different situations, I think it's helpful to know the environment and the people Mm. and the accents and um, all of that kind of thing. Um, A cold season, the character actually starts off in Yorkshire and crosses the Pennines. So she's (laughs) over in Saddleworth a lot of the time. But um, I wrote that when I'd, I'd been working there about nine years. So I still felt that I knew that area well enough to do that and and that sort of journey you know I was doing the commute in winter and Mm. struggling to get back home over the hills and that went into a cold season quite a lot I think there's a bit of the claustrophobia and worry about getting getting back home again um but it's funny because even though I was writing my novel set in Yorkshire I've been called by different people an international writer people who know me from a short stories because I tend to range a bit more in those. Um, I think I'm, I'm just kind of bold enough to set a short story in another country if I've visited it um, or, you know, know enough about it. Whereas setting a whole novel there mm. seemed quite daunting. Um, until Steve Jones asked me to write Zombie Apocalypse, Acapulcalypse Now. Oh, yes. Uh, which is set in Mexico. Um, because he knew that I'd written short stories set in Mexico. Mm. And... Fortunately, the story was set in a, a Mexican hotel, and I thought, well, I've been in, in a Mexican <laughs> hotel. It's not like I have to set it in some weird village in the middle of nowhere that I don't really know. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd sort of picked up enough of the culture and things to, to give that one a whirl and just had an absolute whale of a time writing that one. <laughs> <I> <laughs> so, like- I, yeah, I've kind of ventured out of, of Yorkshire there, but I'll always come back, I think, because it, it's home and... Uh, places you know Alison Littlewood international author of Yorkshire and Mexico I like it Um, now having read The Unquiet House and The Hidden People I can also say that you've got quite a thing for the name Elizabeth and its derivatives such as Lizzie and also for the song All Things Bright and Beautiful is it coincidental that both these things appear in your novels or do they have a special place in your heart well it's really funny because um, 
you sent me these questions through a week ago because you're a good person. <laughs> and um, I was a bit astonished when I got to this. I thought, did I do that, really? <laughs> and I'd completely forgotten that I'd used them in The Unquiet House. I think I only mentioned him in there as an example of a positive-sounding hymn to contrast mm. with uh, the one that goes, it's hard to dance with the devil on your back, just a little bit darker. Um, when it came to the hidden people, both of them just fit really well because... Lizzie is a very old English name, mm. um, and I, it was set in Victorian times. And it, it was a very popular name at the time. I mean, when Queen Victoria came to the throne, it was suggested that she should call herself Elizabeth or Charlotte, actually, because the good English name. names. Yeah. <laughs> um, and all things bright and beautiful. I use the lyrics quite a bit more mm. in the book um, because. The, the glowing colours and the tiny wings are actually quite fairy-like. But there's also a verse that isn't used very much now about the rich man in his castle and the poor man at, at his gate. Hmm. Um, God made them high and lowly and ordered their estate. And it, it's quite opposite in terms of the situation in the book. Alba is a lot better off than his cousin. Hmm. Um, he, there's a hint that you know he's attracted to her at the beginning and his father's horrified. So the social kind of aspect of that was quite helpful as well fantastic your latest novel the hidden people is quite a departure from your previous books not least in writing style what inspired you to write it like that essentially i was interested in writing about fairy changelings and the folklore around changelings um, this idea that the, the little folk could steal someone away and replace them with a lookalike um it's, or a stock of wood bewitched to look like the person and I was interested in uh, the contrast between Victorian rationalism and mm. progress and science. Um, I found several quotes that said the, the railways were driving out the fairies. So it seemed to be a point in time where people were commenting that, you know, the, the countryside is essentially being um, taken over by this by progress. Do you think that might be where the idea that fairies are vulnerable to iron has come from? If you've got all the railroads, railroads kicking them out, or do you find that iron is older than that? It's older than that, really. Yeah. But yes, um, it, that's an interesting idea, though, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it would, I was going to say, it wouldn't be abnormal for the Victorians to take our heritage and uh, mess around with it and kick out all the bits they didn't like and replace it with their own knowledge. But it obviously goes no, back quite. later than that. Oh, of course, with the it horseshoes does. and things. Yes, yeah, and people would put iron scissors under the hmm. baby's cribs to protect them from from fairies and they put sort of iron shears over the doors to keep them out and things like that so i i've wanted to set the book in the victorian period and um i, I basically went from there and immersed myself in Victor victorian fiction and new novels that are that are set in victorian times uh and because the language was very important um, as a part of that, I wanted to write in Victorian prose, really, um, to reflect the the character's voice. Mm. So, yeah, the, the prose actually became really important. And I got very immersed in people like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and um, Wuthering Heights as well was another one that... Mm. Um, they, they can be quite convoluted in the prose, but at the same time very beautiful and very emphatic. And um, the way that they use language could be very playful sometimes and... You know, I found that it was quite a delight in the actual language. Mm. So it, the prose did sort of become more of an important element in the book, really. 
Yeah, I mean, it it reminded me an awful lot of uh, of Thomas Hardy when I've been reading it and all of his beautiful countryside descriptions, and it certainly helped to draw me into that that Victorian sort of, of era. My review of The Hidden People for Ginger Nuts of Horror described it as a labour of love, and it's very clear that so much time, effort and research and thought has gone into this book. But are you a little worried that um, such a departure from your normal style into a very, very Victorian style uh, might not appeal to your existing fans who perhaps like the modern prose and uh, pacing of things like A Cold Season or The Unquiet House? Um, it is a concern, but what people think of my books is kind of a thing that, yeah, I worry about it in, in different moments, but it's something that I have to shut out a lot of the time because otherwise I, I just wouldn't be able to function. I'd spend all the time thinking... Oh, you know, people might not like this or they might not like that or perhaps I should make that character um, more like this because people might like it more. And, you know, you, you can't think like that when you're writing, really. You just have to write the story you want to tell. And as a writer, I think I, I've changed, really. Each book's taught me something and you just keep on growing and, and moving onward. So, you know, it would be sad if, if people don't like the new style, but it it's kind of OK because it's necessary in a way. I think um, I'm not the kind of writer who could just write the same type of book over and over again. Mm. Um, so it's just, a, I guess, one of those things, <laughs> really. It's, it'd be a shame, but there you go. Yeah. The Hidden People is about changelings, and you recently wrote a very scholarly article for Folklore Thursday about the same subject. In fact, you and I were on a panel together at FantasyCon, and I remember we were chatting to the audience about it for quite some time. So a changeling something that's captured your imagination, and if so, what is it about them that's so intriguing? Yeah, I find them endlessly fascinating, really. I think it's the idea that um, if someone you love who's in your house, maybe in your bed, isn't who you think they are, they might look exactly the same, but maybe there are just little things in their behaviour that seem slightly off, and is that because they've changed as a person, or is it because they're not really the person you imagine them to be? And I find that idea really creepy, and... And really full of possibilities in terms of writing as well. Hmm. But there's also that that hint of the magical about it as well. And I grew up loving fairy tales. And I suppose there's just that little intriguing sense of the other and the magical. That, that it's full of kind of horror but also beauty in a way. So yeah, it's, it's something I, I keep being drawn back to. Fantastic. So obviously, um, as writers, we tend to read a lot. So what horror authors, both male and female, inspire you? Right. Um, I mean, so many. So I, I read really widely and I read kind of outside the genre as well. But certainly Stephen King is mm. one of the earliest ones where I used to borrow my brother's books. And um, Do you have a favourite Stephen King? I love The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Oh. But, you know, I'd, I'd never really realised why until I thought it's like Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, it's okay. almost Stephen King does fairy tales. So, <laughs> so she and so fairy tales again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah quite. Um, and I, I love Neil Gaiman's work. I love the, the folkloric mm. elements and the, the depths that that gives to his stories. I really liked Neverwhere, where he managed to bring folklore to the underground. I thought that was a great way of yeah, doing it. Fabulous. That was, that's really nice. <laughs> I have a signed copy where he's put Mind <gasps> the Gap in it. Oh, lovely. Very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love Dan Simmons' work for his sense <gasps> of place. It's really evocative. Yes. The um, Terror. Love that book. Yes, my goodness. Oh. And The Song of Carly is. One of the darkest... I mean, that book takes you and just leaves you totally in the dark. It's, it's quite, quite a... Um, yeah, scary book. Um, I love Shirley Jackson just because she she's so good at building quite a subtle sense mm. of unease and she just builds it in layers until you're you know, more and more freaked out. Um, 
Graham Joyce as well. I yeah. love his work. I'm not sure he would have classified himself as horror. Hmm. Um, but his books are just beautiful and magical and, and generous as well, in a way. But also, Graham, the person, was so lovely and, and gave me some really good advice when I was starting off. So he was a big influence as well. Yeah, he seems to be a big influence on a lot of people. And a lot of people always say, a very nice chap. Yeah, definitely. And, and we're so kind of central at fantasy con and mm. things like that, yeah. Um, but I've got influences outside the genre. For, for a lot of years, my favourite book was Oscar and, and Lucinda by Peter Carey, which was a very kind of intricate, odd, historical, almost a love story, but quite twisted. Um, and <laughs> I wonder if that's why I've kind of come around to historical mm. writing in a way. Well, certainly The Unquiet House is partly set in modern day and then obviously has flashbacks to, to various other places. Yeah, and then The Hidden People being completely historical. So maybe that is that is where you're going. <laughs> yeah, maybe I just kind of got drawn into it gradually. Mm. <laughs> So what do you hope your readers will take away from your writing? Um, I hope there are a kind of depth to the books where they, they kind of talk about maybe the, the hidden people, the kind of social issues in the society that we're in and things like that. But um, at the same time, I don't consider myself a preacher and I'm not mm. a non-fiction writer. So essentially, I hope they have a really good read. That's, <laughs> what, that's what I would hope for. And don't come around to you with questions about why do you keep putting all things bright and beautiful in <laughs> Yes. <laughs> And spotting things like that. And hope I can remember, yeah. <laughs> so finally, as someone who obviously, you know, writes about scary things, uh, what is it that frightens you the most? Um, lots of things, really. I think that's why I write horror, actually. I'm one of those ball Marias. What's the worst thing that could happen? Um, I'm terrible at horror films. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who can be throwing my popcorn in the air because I really jumped. But um, the, the really serious things that scare me are are things that scare most people I think things like losing a loved one um you know what happens when we die that kind of thing um so I think in a funny sort of way horror a lot of the time isn't about the dark it's about Mm. the light it's about the things you love and Mm. the people you love and the threat of losing them and that's obviously where the, the horror comes in. So more uh, a psychological level than werewolves spattering down your door or something yes, like that. Yes, indeed. It has its place, though. Zombie apocalypse has a bit. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for talking to me, Alison. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for listening to Breaking the Glass Slipper. We'll see you at the next episode.